0: Thanks for tuning in to a sermon from Redemption Hill Church. If you're in D.C., we'd love for you to come and join us and become a part of the church family. If you're outside of D.C., we would love for you to find a church family to get plugged into and invest your life in, where you can be held accountable and they can care for you. If you'd like to support the ministries of Redemption Hill Church, you can give online at redemptionhilldc.org. And Father, thank you for the chance we do have to gather to worship you, to have our hearts renewed and refreshed, and to see how you work across time and history. And, and so I pray that tonight you would center our hearts and fix our eyes, that you would help us and meet and meet us through this text as we encounter you through your word. And so we lift this time to you in the name of Jesus. Amen. <clears throat> Well, tonight we come to a text in Acts chapter 14, so if you have a Bible, you can open it up with me to Acts 14. Um, if not, you can, you'll see it on the screen or pull it up on your phone. Um, if you're interested, we do have Bibles made out of paper in the back on the book table, and um, if you don't own one, you can pick one up. It's our gift to you tonight. Um, we come to a transition text tonight, and so we're in this section of Acts where we've seen the first missionary journey where the Apostle Paul and Barnabas were sent out from Antioch to go and preach the good news of Jesus Christ to preach the gospel and God's word um, to across the world and so we've been following their first missionary journey and tonight we come to a text that actually is is skipped over by many commentators kind of lumped in with other sections because it is a transition um, as we see the first missionary journey coming to a close But I think there's something profound and inspiring in this text, and so that's why we've set aside an entire Sunday to talk about it together and to dig into this one together, because this little transitional text gets to the heart of our mission and the heart of what I believe the Christian church is called to, and in that, into the importance of church planting, and so if we're in Acts chapter 14. We'll start in verse 20 tonight and um, finish out the chapter. And in this text, what we, or leading up to this, what we had seen is that Paul and Barnabas had been going from city to city across Asia Minor, which is modern day Turkey, and preaching the gospel. And last week, the text ended on a happy note as um, the apostle Paul was dragged out of the city and beaten with rocks and left for dead. Um, so that's where we pick things up tonight in Acts chapter 14. Um, it began, So it ended last week by saying, But Jews came from Antioch and Iconium, and having persuaded the crowds, they stoned Paul and dragged him out of the city, supposing that he was dead. But when the disciples gathered about him, he rose up and entered the city on the next day. He went on with Barnabas to Derbe, and when they had preached the gospel to that city... And had made many disciples, they returned to Lystra, and to Iconium, and to Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. When they had appointed elders for them at every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. Then they passed through Pisidia and came to Pamphylia, and when they had spoken the word at Perga, they went down to Atalia, And from there they sailed to Antioch, where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work that they had fulfilled. And when they arrived and gathered the church together, they declared all that God had done with them and how he had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles, and they remained no little time with the disciples. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All right, so as the text begins, I think this is amazing because there's something to, that, is, that is awe-inspiring about the Apostle Paul's resilience in ministry. He, last week, as we closed the text, we saw that he was in the city of Lystra and that, that people had come all the way from Antioch, which was a hundred-mile journey, and, and followed him and, tra- and tracked him down so that they could try to kill him. And so they left him for dead, and what does he do when he gets up? Like amazingly he the disciples gather around him, so other Christians had gathered around him and and he goes right back into the city. He goes right back into the place where, he, where they ju- had just tried to kill him. And then he goes on to the next city, and what does he do? He continues to do the same things and preach the gospel and see people come to Christ and disciples made, and then he goes back into all these cities that had all the people who wanted him dead. And so there's something of the reality of ministry and church planting that we see in the Apostle Paul here that, that you can get beat up and get left for dead and go right back into the place where God's called you and to continue preaching, and so we have a map. We've been following this journey, and so what we see today as they return is again these are real places, real cities that existed along Roman roads. And so Paul and, and Barnabas went from Lystra to Derby, and then they went back into Lystra and Iconium, and back to Antioch, and then made their way in, in Pisidia, and then made their way back to the Antioch in Syria where they had been sent. And so in this, this is the other thing: the guy got beaten. With rocks, badly enough that they left him for dead. And the next day, he got up and made a 65 mile journey to Derby and began that walk. Like, I don't like to walk after leg day in the gym. let alone getting beaten and left for dead, and then you get up and keep going at the kind of rate he did. It's really incredible to see the commitment that he had to what he was doing. But along the way, there's a consistent pattern that we see in Paul's ministry, that we see in the text tonight, that it's all about church planting, and that as he plants churches, as he was called by Jesus to be his witness to the Gentiles, that everywhere the apostle Paul went, he preached the gospel, he made disciples, He appointed elders in every place, and then the church continued to gather. That pattern hasn't changed. And this passage shows us the first hints at at the needed organization of the church, that this is now the church is getting beyond Jerusalem and into other areas where they needed to begin to organize themselves. And so they were basing organizational models on the way that synagogues were organized. And then later on, official offices of elder and deacon were established as elders were freed up, similar to the apostles in Acts 6, when the apostles said, hey, we've got to devote ourselves to the ministry of the word and prayer, and so we need others that are going to be appointed to serve the church in more practical matters, and so over time, the organizational aspects of the church came into clearer view, but as this comes to us, we see that, and we can see the importance of the organization of the church, but even more than that, what we see in this passage is that we get to join the continued advance of the word of God, and that at the very heart of Christ's mission, as his word advances, is the church. The church isn't an accident, It is the way that God has chosen to spread his word. It's the method that Jesus has chosen to advance his kingdom through which the spirit moves to bring healing and hope and salvation. And church planting is at the heart of of how God engages in his world. It's the way to advance the gospel because as churches are planted, they are outposts of beauty and light that show off the glory of God. And so today we see what the church is in all of its beauty and simplicity, the core of what it takes to be a church. So first, the gospel is preached. And this is the foundation. This is where it all begins. And this is consistent throughout the book of Acts, is that the good news of who Christ is is proclaimed. The good news that of who God is and what he's done, and ultimately in Christ, that, that God took on flesh, died in our place for our sin, and was raised to life, and that that is our greatest hope. And so, and so Paul, everywhere he goes, it says that he continued on, and after, after he rose up, the next day he went on with Barnabas to Derby, and when they had preached the gospel in that city and made many disciples, they returned to Lystra and then Iconium and Antioch. and there I loved it in this passage, it almost feels like an afterthought, right? <laughs> it doesn't make it a big directive of Paul went to this next place and there he preached the gospel. It says, okay, when he had done that there, of course he did that there. That's what Paul does everywhere. So there's an assumption that he's going to proclaim the good news of Christ. and, and so in the, and, and again, here, I want us to be careful because I think it's possible for us to read uh, selectively as we read through the book of Acts and particularly in Paul's ministry and to read the book of Acts and see only the fruitfulness and the highlights and the things that went well you know that we see you know Paul heal people in Lystra and we forget that he was stoned there and we and so there, we need to see that that there are there's fruitfulness and and people came to Christ but also Paul suffered intensely but he just continued to proclaim the good news of the gospel Over and over and over again. And we are called to the same. I think sometimes in the church we get confused because we talk about spiritual gifts, and and there are people in our lives that we think, oh, that person's just got the gift of evangelism. And um, what we mean by that is that person actually has the boldness and willingness to tell people about Jesus. Every Christian is called to that, every one of us has that opportunity. We can't control people's responses. We and can't, We can't ourselves change anyone's heart. But every one of us has a calling to proclaim the good news. Jesus talked about, about this sum in, in his parable of the sower. And he described a farmer that was scattering seed in his field. And, and some of the seed fell on the path. And some fell on shallow, rocky soil. And some fell with the weeds. But some fell on good soil. And Jesus was talking about the condition of our hearts as the seed of the, of the gospel, of the kingdom of God, comes to us, that for some of us, it's our, our hearts have been baked hard. And, and this is the classic Spurgeon quote, that, that the same sun that melts wax hardens clay, and the same gospel can do both to our hearts. And so if, my fear for some of you is that your hearts might be packed hard and impenetrable right now. And I would pray that the Spirit would till up the soil of your, of your heart. For some of you, it's the, there's the distractions of life and the anxieties of life that are weeds that choke things out. For some of you, it's a shallowness with rocky soil underneath. But for some of you, there is dark, deep, rich soil in your heart. And so the role that we have as a church is to, is to sow seed, as individuals, to sow seed of the gospel, to plant into water and trust that God will make it grow. In Isaiah 55... It talks about God's word, and and it uses this similar agricultural language. As as God speaks through the prophet Isaiah, it says, "For As the rain and snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. So there's, we have a promise that Paul trusted in. You know, we see the fruitfulness of his ministry, and that's because he trusted that God really is sovereign, that God really can make an impact and transform people's lives. He really believed that God's word was powerful and would not return empty. And so everywhere he went, he proclaimed the gospel, and the word of God continued to advance, and he was just one mouthpiece making that proclamation. And so with us, we can go out with the same confidence that drove Paul. That God's word does not return empty. That that the spirit of God is moving to advance his word. The same spirit that we read about in Acts 14 is continuing to move through God's people today. And we get to be a part of proclaiming that same word, the gospel of Jesus Christ, and then let God worry about the results. And as we preach the gospel and proclaim the good news of Christ... We also need to realize that evangelism is not complete until a church has been planted. That it's from the seeds of the gospel taking root that a new church grows. And I feel like for some of you that might sound a little bit audacious, especially if you've spent time in, in parachurch ministries, or which are good and have an important place, but I really want you to hear tonight. Evangelism is not complete without, is incomplete without the church we've been too conditioned culturally to believe that our salvation is an individual affair. That our relationship with God is just about us. And so this is why when we talk about what it means to follow Christ, in a lot of traditions that a lot of you, if you've grown up in the church, for some of you, you haven't grown up in the church and praise God that this hasn't been conditioned into you. But for some of you, you've grown up in systems and mindsets to say that your salvation is all about an individual transaction between you and God and, and, and a moment that is only about your relationship with him. When we approach spirituality and spiritual development, this is why we focus only on, so often, only on individual quiet times and reading plans and prayer times and, and don't focus on the corporate aspects of what it is to be embedded in a community and in a family. But our salvation, when we read the New Testament, it's never just about individuals. It always leads to, and it has a, is necessary, that, they, that people are brought together in community, that, that people are brought into life as the people of God. This is what, what Peter said in his letter when, when he said, once you were not a people— But now you have become a people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. You see, what it means to, be, to come to follow Jesus Christ is that you are brought into a new family as the people of God. And local churches are, the, are manifestations of his people and of his global church. And so the foundation of the church has always been and will continue to be the preaching of the gospel. The second is that disciples are made and churches are planted And so we see that right in the text. He goes on to Derby. When they had preached the gospel in that city and made many disciples, they returned to Lystra, and they continued to strengthen the souls of the disciples and encourage them. And so there's a discipleship aspect here to what it means to follow Jesus and what the calling of the church is. And so this comes, so a couple of places to highlight here. Jesus' final words in the gospel of Matthew to his disciples um, it, where is he, right before he ascended to heaven as he came and said to them all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me go therefore and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you and behold I am with you always to the end of the age do, do you see what Jesus is saying here? what the calling to his followers was he says first all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me They've seen him raised from the dead, and they're about to see him ascend to heaven. If those events happened, then when he makes the statement, all authority has been given to me, then we have to listen to whatever he tells us next. And his call to his disciples is, go and make disciples of all nations. And how do we do that? Well, by baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and then he promises to be with us, until the end of the age. This commission hasn't changed. The calling is still for us to go and make disciples of all nations, to, to proclaim the gospel to all people, but there's an aspect then that our lives get changed as we, as we, as we follow Christ and, and we choose to continue daily to lay ourselves down to follow him, which is what he had told his disciples in Luke chapter 9. Peter first identified that he was the Christ, the Son of God, and Jesus said, you're right about that. And and then he quickly followed it up by saying, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. For what does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses or forfeits himself? This is what it means to follow Jesus. This is what it, mean, it means to be a disciple of his. That, and there's a cost to it. So for those of you that aren't Christians, you need to hear that there's a cost to true Christianity. For every one of us, there's something, there's a, there's an aspect of our lives that we have to be willing to lay down because the call of Jesus is costly. It's that we need to be willing to lose our lives if we're going to find salvation in his. It means that that if we could gain the whole world and lose and forfeit our very souls, and he's calling us to give up our priorities, our hopes, our dreams, and lay them at his feet to follow him. And then as we follow him, we're called to, to bring others into that discipleship relationship with him. To, to Yes, there's an, it, 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 there's an initiation, bringing people into the covenant community and baptizing people. And we love to celebrate the, that moment, seeing people come to make a decision publicly to say, I am following Jesus. And that is a beautiful moment, but that is a beginning point that then the rest of our lives is this practice of daily p- taking up our crosses, killing our own flesh, and following him. And so the call of Jesus to be one of his disciples is, to, is then to, we have to teach each other to obey everything that he's commanded us to do. This actually makes a difference in our lives. And so to be one of his disciples, to learn from him and sit at his feet as our great teacher, to actively obey and follow him and to have our lives reflect his, this is what we're called to. And the gospel Paul preached was not just a fire insurance prayer or just a call to social action or just a path to our own self-fulfillment and success. As Eugene Peterson says, it's a call to a long obedience in one direction, knowing that we have been ransomed and purchased, blood bought by a crucified and risen Savior, and we live our lives under the direction of an ascended king. And then as this happens, as people follow Christ, as, as the gospel is preached and God grabs a hold of our hearts and the Spirit breathes life into us, then churches are formed because disciples of Christ, disciples of Jesus will, follow, will gather together in community. We've had the privilege to have a front row seat to this. Um, and so tonight, today is actually kind of an important day, and, and this is exciting stuff to be able to tell you about. So first of all, Redemption Hill Church In 2010, Alyssa and I moved here, and we knew two people in the whole city of D.C. We had Ascending Church in Annadale, Virginia, which is either 20 or 90 minutes west of here. Um, Right now, I would guess it would be closer to 20, because who's on the road at 5.40 on Super Bowl Sunday? Um, But if we were to try to make the trip tomorrow at like 3.30 to 8, (laughs) it would take much, much longer. Um, but it's just inside the Beltway, at a church called Cornerstone that called us. They were our Antioch. that called us and sent us out, the people we reported back to. Um, we're in our, in, so our family is coming up on nine years of living in the district, and when we moved here, we moved here just with the hope, that by, with the naive hope, really, of saying, all right, we're going to move there and we, are going to, we really believe that if we faithfully proclaim the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that the seed of the gospel grows best in dark soil and that God will grow a church from that faithful proclamation. Now we're in our eighth year of ministry as a church. In August, we celebrated seven years of what, and we've seen people come to Christ and be baptized. We've seen some of your lives completely transformed. Some of you that grew up as Christians may not call it, say that you you became a Christian, but you've certainly had at least a gospel awakening as the Spirit has moved within you. We've seen um, good work happen in our cities. We've seen leaders and members of our church get sent out all over the world. Uh, And even tonight, and we were able to celebrate the commissioning of two more community groups that are now every one of our community groups has a specific strategy on how to pursue God's work in our city, which now our church is at 27 community groups with 27 different strategies, where seven years ago we were just launching our third. So praise God for the work that he's done here. And now through our church, I don't know if you realize this, today, is the birthday celebration for two other churches on the same Sunday. Five years ago, um, this week, Pastor Chewy was commissioned to plant in Mexico City. It's his hometown. And five years ago, he, he had completed a year and a half of formal residency and training here at Redemption Hill. Um, at that point, they had two children. They moved to Mexico with two kids and came back with four. And we've had a talk about what causes that. <laughs> so Pastor Chewy was sent to Mexico City with the same dream, to go to his hometown and preach the, the good news of the gospel and believe that the seeds of the gospel could take root there and grow into a church. And he moved there. He worked for four and a half years in Mexico City. And in that time, now today, Doxa, Iglesia Cristiana this Sunday celebrated their third birthday as a church. They have existed for three years now. Yes. Yes. <clears throat> And through that work, we've seen people baptized and lives transformed and disciples made. And um, Chewy trained up Eli Casares, that is an elder and pastor. And so as they came back to Redemption Hill, which is their Antioch church that sent them out, now there is someone, an elder commissioned there to carry on the work and to continue to do the good work that they're doing. And they celebrated their third birthday today now in Belfast. We entered into a partnership with Pastor Lucas Parks in Belfast in 2012, so over six years ago, and today is the fifth birthday of Village Church in Belfast. And... Lucas had taken a long road in preaching the gospel there and seeing the seeds of the gospel take root and gathering people together. We entered in and have been in a partnership with them, helping them and giving some coaching and some help along the way and financially investing into the work at Village. Um, they've, been, they've helped with things here and now Village has also planted another church. There's Village East and Village South Belfast. Um, so Andrew Elder is now a pastor that's leading Village South and so we've been a part of seeing two churches planted in Belfast with hope for more and and so with all of this we're seeing in real time what we're reading about in acts this isn't just history because it's the same word of god that's being proclaimed it's the same gospel that we're celebrating it's the same spirit that's moving through god's people and as and, ga- and calling people to christ and and in that we, we continue to see the word the word of god advance and churches planted And then we see elders raised up. Isn't that an exciting turn toward ecclesiology? (laughs) Um, I, I mean, I would love to dig into this more. I think in American context in particular, we have a tendency to think of elders as a board and have like a corporate model for what that means. Um, And um, I don't know that that always meshes with what we see biblically. Um, And that's especially true in non-denominational or Baptist or low church or free church backgrounds. Um, Some of you may have grown up in Anglican or Presbyterian or Episcopalian higher church traditions. It's not like there's discussions in Presbyterian churches about what elders are. You're told what they are in your local churches, but free churches have a little bit of a, we have to figure some of this out. Um, so today, we're not going to do a polity class on Super Bowl Sunday night. As much fun as I would have with that, um, I think it'd be great to dig into those things. Um, but I do think we should look at the reality that this is always a part of Paul's ministry. That it's not, it's not just coincidental. It doesn't just appear here. It, this is something that we see all the time, is that he goes into a place, preaches the gospel, disciples are made, and then elders are appointed and lifted up. Well, why is that important? Why, why is that something that's emphasized throughout Acts? Well, I think because they needed somebody to carry on the ministries of Paul and Barnabas. Paul and Barnabas weren't staying embedded in these cities. They were, it was an apostolic ministry of seeing these churches started, and this, so they needed people that would lead those churches and, and, and carry on the ministries that we see them doing here, that they strengthened the souls of disciples and encouraged them to continue in the faith. And so that's what they were doing, is they were saying, we need people who are going to be the servants of these churches to continue to do this work to strengthen and encourage the faith of the people there. Now again, later on, we see all kinds of things develop in churches. So there are teachers, and there are prophets, and there are evangelists, and there are deacons. But but still, later on in later New Testament letters, we also see an expansion of this understanding of what the role of elders are. And so let's look even at this text, and we can see some clues as to what eldership is all about and as we think about what our elders are called to do here in Redemption Hill. Um, First, elders are committed to the Lord, You see that, that's how it, that when they had appointed elders for them in every church, with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. And so there's a commissioning here, and leaders, and particularly elders, have a high responsibility because they will answer to Christ himself for the care over his church. In Hebrews 13, the author of Hebrews makes this clear when he he calls the people that he's, that I believe Hebrews is most likely a sermon, and at the end of it he says, obey your leaders and submit to them. I think most of you might stop reading there because you're like, Pfft. But it goes on. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. So there's something that, yes, it's a command to submit and obey leaders, but, but it also sneaks in there, by the way, the leaders over you, the elders that Paul and Barnabas were appointing in these churches would give an account to God for the souls of the people entrusted to them. And so they take that seriously and they fast and they pray over them and lay hands on them. They're committed to the Lord. And then what we see here is that they strengthen the souls of the disciples and encourage the disciples. Why do they have to strengthen and encourage the disciples? Do you see what it says right in the text? Because through many tribulations, we must enter the kingdom of God. God's word is not rosy pictured and candy coated about how this life works. Life is hard. Following Jesus is hard. It's it's simple in some ways, it's very clear what Christ calls us to, but it's hard to follow Christ. It's hard to live in a broken world. It's hard. And so in light of that, in light of the reality that we are going to face suffering and tribulations and difficult things in our lives, Paul and Barnabas appoint elders in every place to carry on this ministry of strengthening the souls of the disciples and encouraging them. To strengthen them, this word only appears four times in the entire New Testament, and all four times happen in Acts chapters 14 to 18. So it's really just in this section that we see this word at all. But it's, it, and, so it's, and it's all about the ministries of Paul and Barnabas strengthening the churches along the way as they visit them. And so, but here I think this is a great word for what we see because it's the, part, it's the role of these leaders to help the people in the church to continue to develop and to get stronger because they were new in the faith. They needed that kind of development. The same way that, that toddlers and infants need to develop too. Like Babies are floppy. Right, Like, there's no muscle control. There's no awareness of life. There's no awareness, like, when the newborns are born, they can't see more than, like, six or nine feet across the room. And so it's like when a baby starts tracking their parents with their eyes, that's like a major developmental milestone. One of my favorite things is when babies start discovering their hands. Like, when's the last time you sat and marveled at what God had created in your own hands and joints? But babies will do that for hours. Why? Because they're learning how to use their bodies and how to strengthen. This is why toddlers and preschoolers are just manic. They like go a thousand miles an hour or crash and fall asleep. It's because they're learning to control their bodies and they're getting stronger through play. And so physically, their play and curiosity and discovery strengthens them over time. And as if you're, if you're around kids and caring for kids, whether it's in the church community or they're your children, it, it's in, like, we don't say to kids, like, no, you should sit still and not play. And we say, no, you gotta, you've got to use your body, get that energy out. And if you try to make kids sit still, then it's just going to be a disaster later anyway but they're learning and strengthening and developing. And, and, and that happens mentally, too, and cognitively, that our minds develop over time, and we're able to understand into concrete concepts and abstract concepts. And you can read psychologists like, like Piaget that talk about the, human, the development of the human mind over time and what happens in adolescence and, and into adulthood and how our reasoning changes, and their minds develop to take on more and more emotionally. We, we learn to cope with our emotions, some of us. <laughs> um, but like, you don't have to guess what most kids are thinking or what they're feeling in a given moment. They will tell you. Now, over time, as we learn to control our emotions and how to, how to, how to influence our own hearts and emotions, I also think that adults can be taught to stuff their emotions and not be able to even identify their own hearts and feelings, which is why I have an emotions chart next to my desk. <laughs> Years of stuffing my emotions. Um, I'm in counseling, it's okay. <laughs> and but over time we we do learn to cope emotionally and I mean socially we grow. Our relationships and friendships and abilities for friendships change over time. And then we get into adulthood and have to cope with the realities that it's not college life anymore and, and people's schedules change, but, but relationships deepen and what it means to be somebody's friend changes over time. Um, when we went to Mexico City last summer, to, we got to visit the Rodriguez family before they moved back to DC. And Joel at that point really didn't speak English at all and Simon definitely doesn't speak any Spanish. And um, the two of them had a blast. Like eight nine-year-old boys because and and we would ask them, like, hey, you guys having a good time?" oh yeah, yeah, yeah cool are, do, are, do you talk at all <laughs> no <laughs> best friends. <laughs> Um, and over time, their understanding of friendship and is going to change and develop and grow. Moral choices and understanding of consequences changes and develops and grows. And so we, we help to strengthen children as they grow up. And in the same way, church leaders and elders, part of the ministry they're called to is to help strengthen the faith of the people in the church, to help us develop together. And then to encourage the disciples Encourage them to continue in the faith, even though it's hard to encourage people literally means to put courage into them. And so we say often at Redemption Hill, if you're, if you're new here, you'll hear this, I think, pretty frequently, that like, no one has come in tonight over-encouraged. We want to be a people who are consistently breathing courage into each other's lives because we're going to face terrifying situations in our weeks. So when we come together, part of what we're doing is to strengthen your faith and strengthen the muscles of your faith and then give you the courage you're going to need to face whatever it is that you're facing in your life right now. And it's not like we pause from real life as we come together so that you can come together and get the one nugget or line that you can tweet from the sermon and then go out this week because that's going to carry you. But no, this is the stuff of real life when we come together. We come together to actually celebrate, practice, encourage, strengthen with each other, and, and walk together in life, because again, following Jesus is hard. It's not complicated, but it's hard. And following Jesus doesn't remove the fact that we're going to face fearful things, but it does mean we don't face it alone. And we come alongside each other to give courage in the face of fear. Finally, fourth and finally, the church continues to gather. I love this little text and how it ends. Um, this has been a foundational text for Redemption Hill from the beginning um, and, and particularly still our quarterly prayer and worship nights um, that serve as our members' meetings. Um, and I love that Paul and Barnabas get back to Antioch and do you see how they react? They call everybody together. They got home they call everyone together, and they don't call everybody together. I mean, I could see myself going a few different directions here, and I could see myself getting back and being like, I need to rest. I was beaten and left for dead in Lystra, and I went back into the city. And then I went on to Derby and then back to Lystra again <laughs> and, and just saying, like, I'm, time out. I need some space. Or telling the story like I just told it and saying, let me tell you about all the sacrifices that I've just made. Instead, what do they what do? They do? When they arrived, they gathered the church together and they declared all that God had done with them. How God had opened a door of faith to the Gentiles. And they remained no little time with the disciples. The church continues to gather. The churches they started continued to gather. For 2,000 years, the Christian church has gathered on Sundays. You know why we gather on Sundays? It's because Jesus was raised on Sunday. We gather every week to celebrate that our Lord was crucified in our place for our sin, but death could not hold him. And so we gather to celebrate every week what God has done in raising Jesus from the dead and that his kingdom has continued to advance. And when we gather together, it's a celebration to declare God's work. It's not a chance to declare our own greatness. It's not so that we can gather together to get advice and tips on, on life purely. It's to, we gather together to celebrate that God has raised Jesus from the dead, and we celebrate the work that we see him do right in front of us. That's why today we can celebrate, praise God for what he's done in planting Redemption Hill Church. Not because Alyssa and I are so great for moving here. We feel like we've just been like white knuckle hanging onto this thing, and he's been doing the work the whole way. Praise God for what he's doing in Mexico City. People's lives are being changed. Praise God for what he's doing in Belfast. God has opened a door of faith in East and South Belfast. Praise God. And what we're doing is declaring his work, both in what we see in Scripture and as it continues today. And so we gather to be strengthened and encouraged and to declare God's work and first and foremost the gospel of Jesus Christ, but then see it continue. And we need to hear this because our gatherings ought to be celebrations, not in a cheesy, let's pretend that things aren't hard way, but to say, hey, life is hard. Following Jesus is hard, but we know that whatever happens when we get to the end of this thing, that he's waiting for us because death couldn't touch him. And so we gather to celebrate. And we need to, I need to hear this too because like, my theological stream, I'm on, on more of the Reformed side, and we are not very good at celebrating. Like reformed people get get leery of celebration and like you shouldn't be that happy. If you're happy, maybe you're not taking depravity seriously enough. <laughs> you realize you're totally depraved. That if sin is the color blue, you're a smurf. So why are you smiling? And we need to be serious about the holiness and sovereignty of God. And that's true. And God gives us all kinds of good things to gladden our hearts and to direct our eyes to him so that we can respond in joy. And so if you have the trappings of the Reformed stream like I do, we can learn a lot from our Pentecostal brothers and sisters and what it looks like to be filled with joy. Let's celebrate together what God has done, and let's linger together. The church is not an event. The church is a family. we We don't just come to church We are the church together, living life together. And this has shaped Redemption Hill. This is our hope for our churches, that we would gather in celebration of God's work and linger a long time together in life. And, and this, is even, this has shaped our members' meetings. So quarterly, we, we do prayer and worship nights that are also our members' meetings. If you haven't come to them, they're open to everybody. And um, there might be a portion where it's just members where we ask non-members to step out, but most of it's open to everybody. And every time we gather together, it opens with celebration and praise, and so we'll, we'll just ask people, hey, stand up where you are and tell us what you've seen God do over the last few months. And people will stand up, and our church responds by applauding and cheering, like whooping. It's, it's not like we sit on our hands and go, mm, amen. <laughs> Like we cheer it on because we're celebrating God's work together. The elders lead the church and offer, you know, tell our church what's happening and where we're going in the coming quarter and, and offer some reports of what we've seen God do and what we're hoping for and praying for and we pray together and we commission new members, which which is what this is a picture of, That that is every time every quarter as we welcome new members in we gather them, and this is just last quarter we gather the new members here and the existing members come around our new members to lay hands on them and to pray for them them and to lift them up to our Lord together and welcome them into the family and we linger together in that celebration and so I love this little text it's just a transition it's just Paul and Barnabas going home but it's packed with the essence and the essentials of what it means to be the church and in 2,000 years that hasn't changed We continue to join God in his work as we proclaim the gospel and make disciples and appoint elders and gather the church together and see more churches planted and watch the word of God continue to work as it advances through this world. And so this is our great hope. This is what we have devoted ourselves to and what we continue to pray God will build and that we'll see happen in and among and through Redemption Hill. That's what we work toward together. Let's pray. Father, would you make it so? I pray tonight that you would strengthen the faith of those present, that, that those who are here that, that are exploring Christianity would, would be met with your spirit and assured of your presence and your great love for them. I pray that, that those who have come here tonight and are struggling with doubt and fear wouldn't run from those doubts but would be willing to, to bring those to the table in, in community groups or, or to people that they know and trust and, and that you would strengthen their faith. I pray that as, as we, for those who are suffering tonight, that you would meet them and breathe courage into them. Father, would you help us to trust in your goodness and kindness toward us? Lord Jesus, we pray that you would continue to build your church and give us the confidence that the gates of hell cannot prevail against it. We pray that you would pour out the Spirit through your people, draw our hearts to celebration, and give us the resilience we see in Paul. That we can get beat down and crushed, but not be destroyed. And so, Father, we lift this week up to you. We lift Redemption Hill Church up to you. We lift Doxa Iglesia Cristiana up to you, and Village Belfast East and South up to you. We thank you and praise you for the doors of faith that you have opened. And pray that you would do it all the more. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.